Acts chapter 14 today. I'm going to read verses 8 through 23, so settle in. It's a bigger chunk, but hear, hear this story and hear God's word. In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He'd been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet! At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in Lysonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was a chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and they won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and, with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Uh, Well, let me say good morning to you as well. Uh, My name is Tim, and uh, I serve as one of the pastors here, even though I haven't been here in like a month, it feels like. Um, some of you, I know like our vacations overlapped, and I think the last time I saw you was at Christmas. So welcome. Good to see you again. Uh, good to be uh, together. Um, but especially glad uh, because for the next, uh, really the next couple months, um, up until around Labor Day, we're going to be going through the, the back half of the book of Acts and, and really trying to think out like what does it mean for us to live out the mission God has called us. Because what happens in the back half of Acts is the church literally goes from this pocket of people in Jerusalem to a movement that's spread out all over the world. So how does that happen? And and as we jump in uh, to that, and as we think about this series in Acts, there's a couple things that, that themes that will keep coming up. And one was something Josh Jip, uh, Dr. Jip, talked about last week, which is that in Acts, you see the church with this, this unshakable confidence that Jesus has been raised from the dead. He's sitting at the right hand of God. He's, like, he's running history right now. And so the church is, is bold and courageous. It expects God to be at work. So that, that's a theme that will come out a lot. And another theme will come out that we'll kind of think on a little bit this morning um, will be uh, that what happens is the gospel, as it goes out into all the world, uh, it, there's a gospel core that never changes. And yet, as it, as it lands in different cities, how it looks in each city is unique, depending on that cultural 
context. And so as, as we jump in um, kind of to this back half of Acts this morning, and, and given that our own cultural context this is an important week for us, it's 4th of July, it's a big holiday um, for us, right? This is the week where we do what Americans do. We light stuff on fire and eat processed meats, right? That's what we do as Americans. And, and so I just wanted to pause, and as we jump into Acts, just pray for our own cultural context that we'd be faithful um, in that context, as well as, as just a pastoral prayer for our, our country. That This is sort of a, this feels like a weird, uh, maybe it's always been weird, uh, it probably has been, uh, this feels like a uniquely polarized and strange time. And, and I think as a church, we're called to be a unique presence in the midst of that. So I want to pray for that, and then I want to jump into Acts 14 and, and preach from there. So let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, God, as we think about uh, the city and the country you have called us to express and live out the gospel in, uh, we give you thanks first just for the, the many freedoms we have. God, we give you thanks for the freedom of speech, for the freedom of just religion. God, and not just that we can worship privately on Sunday morning, but that we actually can live out our deeply held religious beliefs during the week in public ways. We thank you that we have uh, the freedom to gather and to assemble. I mean, we just read Acts 14. God, that's not true for the church through history and even their churches we work with now. God, they can't, they don't have the freedom to assemble. And so we don't, we don't take that for granted. We thank you that in our context, those freedoms have been granted for us. And we pray, uh, we give you thanks just for the, those who have made sacrifices to give us those freedoms and to protect those freedoms. We pray Protection for those who are, are serving in ways to keep those freedoms for us um, now. But we also we pray for our leaders, um, federal, civil, state. God, we pray that you would unify them in a time of deep division and, and disagreement. God, would, you, would our leaders lead well? Would you give them wisdom to lead a complex world and nation in a way that promotes for the flourishing of all people? And God, in this time, just of, of tension and deep difference, I just pray a couple things for us as a church that would be true. That first, you would unite us as a church around the gospel. That you'd bring revival and renewal to our country because you bring revival and renewal to us, your church, through the gospel as we humbly seek your face in all things. And second, as a church... Uh, God, would you help us to live out what Paul talks about in Philippians 3.20, that we are... We are citizens of heaven first, and we eagerly await the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, would you keep our heavenly citizenship primary as we try to live out our citizenship here as citizens of the United States of America. And as we do that, God, would you just help us to, to, to be noticeably different as Christians? Would you help our, our kindness to be genuine and real. God, the Ephesians says, you have shown your kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Would, would the church just be a place of kindness? I pray too for that our commitment to the poor would lead to the flourishing of, of all people. That Jesus' first sermon in Luke says, I have good news for the poor. God, would that be true of us? I pray that our commitment to Caring for the unborn and for the orphan and for the fatherless would be, would be in the heart of you, our Father. I pray that our commitment to knowing and, and fighting for those who are marginalized or pushed to the edge of society or forgotten, 
would mark us as different in this world. And I pray above all that our willingness just to sit down and listen and enter into life with people who are very different than us and see the world very different than us would just be, a, would be strange and would be unique in a world where that just doesn't seem to happen very often. God, that's what Jesus did for us. He, he entered into our world as a stranger to show us the way to your kingdom. And God, would that be true of us? your church. And so God, we um, as, as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus who want to serve well in this limited season as citizens of the United States, we, would, would you just lead us to do that well by your spirit? I pray that, pray that God. And would you do it now, even as we open your word and try to understand who we're called to be as your church? God, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, in Acts 14, something is going to happen that has not yet happened in Acts. And that is every, every city Paul has been to up till Acts 14, whether it's Jerusalem, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, um, Antioch, whether it's Cyprus, each city Paul's gone to, he starts in the Jewish synagogue preaching the gospel. And then once he uh, sort of has a church, he then goes out into the rest of the city, into the Gentiles, to continue to preach the gospel. But in Lystra, that, that's not what happens, because in Lystra, there, there was no synagogue. There were no Jewish people, which meant Paul... Um, when he got to Lystra, was going to be working with people who had a completely different view of seeing the world than Paul had. Completely different experience. No one would know what a Messiah was. No one, when he opened a Bible, no one would know what that is or, or would think of that as important. And so as Paul goes into Lystra, his entire ministry now was going to be just cold calls. People who had no context for what he was preaching or doing, and, and when I say that, there's probably a couple of different reactions that you might have to that. One is if, if you're, maybe you're not a Christian or you're a little skeptical of religion, you might think, well, like can, trying to convert people is bad. You shouldn't do that. And if people have their own way of life, their own way of religion, and they're happy, like you shouldn't you shouldn't try to do that. You shouldn't interrupt that. And and listen, I I, I understand the reason why people often have concerns about that is. Oftentimes, when a religious person thinks I have the truth, it makes them uh, really self-righteous, sometimes angry. And all throughout history, religious people have resorted to violence when they think they have the truth and they try to bring you to the truth. So if, you're, if that's a hangout for you, I get that. I hope as you see this play out, Christianity, I think, speaks to that in unique ways. But maybe that's one thing you feel. Or another thing you might feel is that if you're a Christian, um, you can re- probably relate to this, which is that we, in our own cultural context, look out into a world that just sees the world very differently than how we see the world. And so how do you even begin to share your faith or share Jesus with people who see the world completely differently uh, than you? How, do you? how do you talk to a coworker about the gospel? Or how do you share the gospel with a classmate of yours? Or how do you talk about Jesus with people when they see the world just so utterly different than how a Christian would see the world? How do you, how do you even begin to have a conversation? Well, both those those. I think reactions to what Paul's doing here in Lystra are important. And I want to look at what Paul does. And what we're going to do kind of as we lay out the sermon um, is, is first, they're kind of, if you're going to be someone who, who wants to share your faith, there's, there's kind of two things Paul does that has to be true of you. And then thirdly, I'm going to sort of lay out how we're trying to, to continue what Paul was doing today in Kansas City as Christ community. So two things that need to be true of you if you're going to be someone who actually like, can share your faith with people who are very different than you. And then thirdly, how we as Christ community are trying to do that as a church uh, together. 
So first, uh, the first thing Paul does as he goes into Lystra, and I try to think of a better way to phrase this, this is the best I can come up with, is just Paul owns the difference. And I'm going to explain what I mean, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to take like five minutes to tell the story of what's happening in Acts 14. And then when I'm done telling the story, I'll, I'll sort of explain what I mean by own the difference. Like what our takeaway is if, if we're trying to be Christians who want to share the gospel in a difficult context. So the story first. And what happens is Paul and Barnabas, they come into the city of Lystra. And as I said, there's not really a Jewish presence, which means they're, they're new. And as they come in, they, they, there's a healing and the result of the healing is that the people of Lystra are really excited about Paul and Barnabas and what they're doing. The problem, though, is Paul and Barnabas don't speak the language, so they actually don't know what's happening around them. And so what happens? They heal this guy, and as, after they heal this guy, everyone's, like, celebrating and excited and happy. And you just see Paul and Barnabas there. Like, they're excited. They're happy, too, even though they have no idea what's going on because they don't speak the language. And everyone's excited, and everyone's happy. And as they're, they're celebrating and excited and happy, this, suddenly this guy comes and puts... Like puts a garland onto Paul, and Paul, this is a strange thing. And so he puts a garland, and then this priest comes up, who would have been dressed in a very unique way, like brings a big a cow, an animal, and starts to sacrifice it in front of Paul. And Paul's like, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! No, don't do that!" Mass confusion. And Paul then says, "Listen." He begins to understand what's happening. Is they think Paul is a god, and they've come to worship Paul and Barnabas as gods because they've healed this guy. And Paul's like, "Stop! Don't do that." And so that, that, that's what sets up um, the story. And I get this is like, this is strange for us because for a couple of reasons. One is like we don't see healings like this very often. And two, like our view of religion, even if, even if you're a Christian most likely, uh, often we view religion as like something very private. Like that's, well, I do religion on Sunday. Um, and the, even though I don't think that's a healthy way of viewing religion, people in this state viewed religion very different, um, which is that, Religion was in, in, intertwined into everything you did. It was a part of everything that you, uh, it was a part of your entire life. And, and so the thought that like the gods could just show up among you as human beings, that was completely normal to them. In fact, there was a, a poet named Ovid who, who uh, wrote this, this uh, work called Metamorphoses. And in that work, which is pretty well known, uh, there were two, uh, the two gods, uh, Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes, decided we need to go and see what human beings are doing. So they disguise themselves as human beings. They go down to the earth. And as they go down to the earth, what they find is human beings are mean and violent. They kick them out of their cities. Zeus and Hermes have a terrible time of things until they come to Lystra, the city Paul's in now. And Lystra, on the outskirts of Lystra, they encounter this older couple who welcome them in. And even though the couple was poorer, the couple feeds them and they share drink together and they show hospitality. And so it's, it's sort of a weird story because at one point this older couple serving them and Hermes accidentally like shows a little bit of leg and the leg is like pure gold. And the guy's like, wait a minute, you've got like golden legs. You must be a god. And they, they realize, oh, these are gods we're eating with. And, and so the Zeus and Hermes, because they had been given good hospitality, they turned the home into a temple they bless this older couple. And so that this story is deeply ingrained in the people Paul and Barnabas are around now. And so when this guy shows up and heals someone, they instantly think back to this story. The gods have shown up. Zeus and Hermes are among us. We must sacrifice. We must show them good hospitality. We must worship them. And Paul says, no, you can't. But he doesn't just do that. He goes, very, he goes a lot further than that. He doesn't just say, you're mistaken. He actually says more. And it starts... Verse 15, when Paul starts to speak to them, he says, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. 
So what Paul does is he says, listen, the religion you're practicing is vain. It's empty. It's worthless. And that's like not exactly a culturally sensitive thing to say to other people. And yet, as I said, like we, we often see religion as private, which means what Paul's doing here, he's actually being even more critical than we think he is because we see religion as private. We, Paul's like, you need to go to a different church on Sunday. That's sort of what we hear. But that's not what he's saying. He's actually saying a lot more than that. Because again, their religion was in, intertwined in everything they did. So for example, if you had a child in Lystra in that day and you wanted to throw them a birthday party, you didn't rent out you know, the Lystran monkey business and go have a party there. You went to the temple for the birthday party. If you needed, uh, oftentimes the banks were located in the temple. The grocery stores were located into or next to the temple. When you wanted to see economic gains in your life, you went and sacrificed to the temple. The temple and the gods were seen as what gave you good things in your life and what gave you bad things in your life. It was intertwined into everything you're doing. So when Paul says, <clears throat> this, your, your religion is worthless, it's empty, he's saying like everything your mother taught you is wrong. Like your entire way of life, it's wrong. And it's not right. You have to change. It's meaningless. And then he goes on. He says, oh, you got to turn from these vain things to the living God. And clearly what Paul's doing is saying Zeus and Hermes are never going to come and visit you because they're not alive. But the living God, through us as messengers, have, we're visiting you now. You need to turn to the living God. He's alive. Zeus is not. And then the, the third thing, that, like to just to make the criticism or the, his uh, complaint uh, complete to give a Trinitarian feel to it. He says, you need to turn to a living God and because this God is the one who's made it rain and has blessed you since, uh, since the beginning of creation. Now Paul's saying Zeus and Hermes have never given you anything. It's the God of Israel from the beginning. Even though you didn't know him, he's been raining blessing on you since the beginning. This is incredibly confrontational. And here's, here's what I want to, I hope you take away if you're a Christian. This, make this your takeaway to what Paul is doing here, which is, is this. If you are a Christian, you see the world in a way that is incompatible with every person who is not a Christian. As Christians, we see the world in an incompatible way with people who are not Christians. And you cannot combine those two realities. So Misty and I, we were on vacation a couple weeks ago in, uh, in California, and something pretty major happened on that trip, and Misty's been getting her side of the story out, so it's time for me to get my side of the story out. And, uh, and I've got a microphone, so this will be more effective. Um, but uh, <laughs> we decided to go uh, to Malibu Creek State Park and do a hike um, that day, and that, this is actually, that's where they shot the show MASH, so if you like the show MASH, we were going to hike to the, the MASH uh, shooting site. Um, I didn't want to do that for the MASH reason, just, be, I just this beautiful hike. And so we went, and, and when we got to when we got there and parked our car, kind of the moment we got, we got the car parked, uh, Misty gets out. I was like, I don't want to do this. I didn't bring enough water. I, was, I don't want to do this. And at that point, I started thinking, you know, Misty loves hiking. Um, all she needs is some encouragement for me. And if I get, like, the right encouragement, the right husband uplifting, like, well, this will happen. We'll do this, and this will be great. So from that point forward, that's how I saw reality, which is if, if, we just, if I just give the right encouragement, we, this hike will go well. Um, well, we get to uh, the, the trailhead, and at the trailhead was, uh, was this, this giant sign warning that there were ticks on the hike. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen an actual tick, but they're very small. But this sign, 
uh, printed like a monster alien tick that was giant. The, ba- the sign basically should have said, wives, if you want to stop the hike, this is your excuse right here. That's what the sign should have said. Because the tick was giant. It's like you never, you're never going to encounter a tick like that. Um, they're tiny. And so we get, she, she sees the sign. Sure enough, she's like, look, look at that. There are ticks like this on the side. We need to turn back, right? And I'm like, no. Listen, you just tick. You just pull it off. I actually had a tick on me a few weeks ago. I didn't even tell you. It was fine. It's all good. Like, we can do this. And so we, I get her past that point. And we get a little bit further down the hike. And she just starts, she's like, no, I'm, Tim, I'm like really sick. We need to stop. And, of course, I'm thinking, it's the tick sign, right? The tick sign is still, it's still working. And she knows I'm sick. And so we, now at this point we have like very, there's two different reality, takes on reality happening right now. One is, uh, as a husband, my job is to encourage and to uplift and to make this really great experience of this hike because Missy loves hiking. And Missy's experience is like, I may die soon. Um, and these are, very, these are two di- very different ways of, of viewing um, reality. Now, I'm not going to ask you which uh, one of you thinks, uh, which, which one of you, uh, which one of us you think is, is, uh, was actually in touch with reality, because I don't care what you think, <laughs> to be honest. And, uh, but the moment I realized that I was the one out of touch with reality was uh, when Missy went to sit down uh, to rest, she, she like more fell down than sat down. I was like, oh, that, that's not how people sit down. And then she had an apple in her hand, and she just kind of threw it for no reason at all. And I was like, oh, like, she's leg- like this is legitimately... Um, sick. And, it, and so it turned out the reason uh, that Missy wanted to turn back was not actually the tick sign, but she was beginning to have heat exhaustion and dehydration and was like actually getting sick. Um, and so the tick sign had nothing to do with it. And so <clears throat> that's actually a completely legitimate reason to end a hike uh, when you have heat exhaustion, uh, in case you ever experienced that. And so, so here we are, like we're, there's two different ways of seeing reality and, and they don't, like they don't go together. <laughs> and I think too often, like as Christians, we think, oh, we can, we can kind of fit this together. And yet, like where I started, if you're citizens of the kingdom of God, that means you, have, you will have confrontations with your citizenship as a United States citizen. Like they, they just don't go together all the way. There will be conflicts. There will be differences. And as Christians, I, we need to own that. And this sermon, it's not about unpacking those differences um, that's, that's, for another, uh, that's for another time. All, all I want us to get this morning is to see that if, if, you're, if you're sitting next to someone who is not a Christian, it, re- it doesn't matter if you share all the same hobbies, if you, know, you all root for the Chiefs and the Royals, if you play golf, if you like the same music, if you have the same politics, if you're the same age, if your kids are the same, all that. All that doesn't matter. If, if you are a Christian and they are not, you see reality in fundamentally oppositional ways. Christians, we see the world in a way that is incompatible with those who are non-Christians. And this is important because what this means is you navigate and as we go out into our culture is that we are under constant pressure to conform and to lose our distinctives as Christians and join in the culture and be and, and, and let that tension just go away. And this is where and this is where a problem can come in. If you're this is why I, why I started where I started because <clears throat> that can be taken to really unhealthy places, right? If a Christian says, "I see reality right, you see it wrong, I'm right, you're wrong," it can so easily lead to self righteousness, to violence, to to pride. But that's not what happens to Paul. So Paul, on the one hand, says, listen, like you can't, you can't bring Zeus to Jesus. You can't do it. You have to give it up. You have to come to the living God. 
So he owns the difference, one, but secondly, Paul embraces the risk. And so what happens after Paul preaches this sermon is that the people take him outside of the city and they, they throw him to the ground, they pick up stones, and they, they throw them at Paul, wanting either to kill him or to leave him uh, seriously wounded, basically to say to Paul, go away. And what a, what a terrifying thing to experience. One moment, Paul's in the city and people want to worship him. and They think he's amazing. He's great. They're putting garlands around his neck. And the next moment, they're dragging him out of the city and, and he's being just, just drilled with stones. What a terrifying experience. So what does Paul do? Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, about Paul, Paul rose up and he went back into Lystra. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to Derbe and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. So Paul is stoned. And then he gets up and he goes back into the city that stoned him to preach the gospel to them. And then he gets up and he goes to Derby. He plants a church there, preaches the gospel there. And then he returns back to Lystra to do more teaching, more discipleship, more caring for those people. And, and thinking about what Paul did, I, there's just a question I want, us, I want us to think about a little bit this morning. And it's this. It's what risk are you willing to take to offer someone else the gospel? Would you be willing to risk a business partnership? Would you be willing to risk a a friendship? Would you be willing to be made fun of at school for saying that you're a Christian? Or are you just like willing to let a conversation just get really awkward? And be clear, one thing I think pastors that we need to do, and we've not done a good job of, is is help, help you with like the how, like how do, you share your, how do you share your faith, like how do you talk about the gospel with people who maybe don't share our worldview? The how is really important, but I, like, I think there's actually a step before that, which is the first thing, we, before we ever get to the how, we first have to, to understand this, which is that you, you cannot share the gospel in any meaningful way without taking a risk of losing something. You will never share the gospel in a meaningful way without taking a risk of losing something. It's always going to be weird. It's always going to be hard. You may have a friend who turns their back on you because of that. But you will never share the gospel without taking a risk. And in our culture, thank God, like the threat at this moment is not violence. right? Most likely, if you were to share your faith, you're not going to have a threat of violence or being put in prison. Um, but in a lot of places, that, that is true. That is the true threat. Uh, the, one of the, the church planning network we support in China, the China Partnership, that's true, the pastors there. And in May of 2017, a year and a half ago or so, I, I was with a pastor named Wang Yi. Who they, they all, everyone in China refers to him as the Tim Keller of China, that he just understands their culture very well and, and, and has found ways to preach the gospel in really effective ways. It just has a growing church there. And a year later, after I sat in a room with Wang Yi, like he was just another pastor that I knew and, and talked to, a year later, uh, he and much of his church was put in prison. Uh, they were beaten. Um, some of his church were, were, were beaten as they went to prison. And, and so, listen, he lives that in a very different way than we live that. But the, the bedrock truth is the same, which is you will never share the gospel in any meaningful way without risking something. 
And it's also why points one and two, like, they have to go together. <clears throat> because, yes, Christianity is, is incompatible with the world. Yes, Christianity confronts, like, a lot of what our, our culture celebrates or what, what our culture holds dear. But Christians, as we, as we make those confrontations, as we say, listen, these things don't go together, we don't do so out of pride or arrogance. We do so out of willing to suffer. We take the lower position. And even if it means we lose something or it means physical violence, arrest, we get back up and we go back into the mission Jesus has called us, which is to speak the gospel. That's exactly what Wang Yi did. The next Sunday he was at his church preaching the gospel, actually with communist officials in the church. And it's what Paul does here. He gets back up from being beaten to within an inch of his life and he goes back in to disciple and to preach. And that's, I think that's a strange combination. That on the one hand, Christians are like, listen, you need to give up your way of life and become a Christian. But on the other hand, I'll give up my way, way of life. I'll give up everything I can to, to, to show you and to teach you and to tell you how the gospel is true. You can beat me. You can threaten me. That, all that's irrelevant. And rather than being Christians, being people who are, are either thin-skinned or who need the position of, of power or authority to share, no, that's not true. We take the lower position, and Paul does that. And the result of that, the, Paul, the result of Paul's ministry, both his, his just backbone, like we have core convictions, our way of life is different, along with his willingness to suffer and serve and go low, meant the gospel exploded into all of the world through his ministry. And I pray those two things would be true of us as a church. We'd have, we would not fear saying, listen, we just see the world differently. And we would take on every risk we could in order to get the gospel to as many people as we could. So that's, that's kind of, that's the text. So then thirdly, okay, what is, how, how is Paul doing this and how are we as Christ community trying to continue <clears throat> to do this? And, and it's important because what you see really in Acts 14 is a good snapshot of Paul's strategy for, for the gospel in all of the world. And what he does is he goes to a city he plants a church in that city. He establishes a church in that city. And then he goes to another city. And then after he's planted a few churches, he goes back and he visits all those churches to establish and to strengthen them. And I hope this doesn't feel, I hope it doesn't feel forced to you because it doesn't feel forced to me. And as we as a church have thought through our strategy of how we want to see the gospel flourish in Kansas City and in the United States and in the world, like we, Paul is sort of our model is we want to see the things Paul is doing here. We want to do those same Things and we have, you know, we have a cute little catchphrase, whatever, to do that. And that, but it's important. Like this is our core. The core how of our mission is we want to multiply churches, we want to multiply disciples, and we want to multiply leaders. And here, here's how you see that play out in this text. First, in that Paul, Paul's primary strategy to reach new people with the gospel is church planning. And listen, I'm going to say this is going to sound controversial to you, but if you if you look at the data and you do the research, it's not at all. And that is the most effective tool at reaching people who, who are not Christians or who don't go to church. The most effective tool is not an outreach program. It's not, uh, it's not growing a huge megachurch with tons of programs. Um, it's not parachurch ministries. It is church planning. The single most effective way to reach people who are not Christians with the gospel is church planning. And that's why core to our mission is church planning. Why you know our work globally our work is, is, church planning is central to our work globally. Why we as a, as, as a church uh, have thought multiple campuses in multiple places. Because the best way to reach all of Kansas City is not one large church off, you know, the interstate somewhere a long way away. But it's local churches in communities reaching and, and exhibiting the gospel in their own local 
ways. And so that's core to our mission is multiplying churches because it is the most effective way. And it was core to Paul's, Paul's mission. The rest of Acts is going to be this. It's going to be Paul going to cities and planting churches there. And so we want to be about that one, multiplying churches first. Secondly, we want to be about multiplying disciples, which is we want to see more people come into faith that are not Christians yet. And this is, I think this is a really challenging thing in our cultural context now because you have people who think they know the gospel who don't, and you have people that, like, the church is just kind of there, but it doesn't feel really relevant anymore. And so one of the reasons why churches, I think, are the most effective at reaching new people with the gospel is because new churches, we sort of, like, we kind of have to be innovative. And so one thing, I'll just say this, over the last three years since we started as a church, there's sort of this unique dynamic that happens at Christ Community. On the one hand, we're a part of this broader church that gives us, like, birth weight and strength and ballast we wouldn't have if we were by ourselves. But on the other hand, I can say this, and, and my boss would certainly tell you this, and our senior leadership would tell you this, we also are sort of the innovative pocket of the church right now. We're asking the unique questions. We're pushing on unique ideas. We're saying, you guys need to think about, we need to think about this um, together. And, and that's true in the business world as well, too. A good business would say, if you don't have innovative pockets of your company creating new ideas and new thoughts and new, you know, new, new uh, you know, uh, <coughs> products or customer ideas, if you don't have that, you die. The same is true in churches. If you're not planning churches, thinking about new ways to reach people who don't have the gospel, the church dies because we begin to be inward-looking or inward-facing. And so that a part of our job as, as, as a campus within Christ Community right now is to be innovative in how we find ways to reach people who don't have the gospel. So we want to be about multiplying churches. We're about church planning. We're about uh, disciple multiplication, seeing more people come to faith. And thirdly, we want to be about multiplying uh, leaders. And then when Paul plants a church... It's for, it's for lasting impact, right? He doesn't just want to plant a church and then, and then have it go away. He wants to see that church outlast himself. And so that's why you see him going back to churches after he's planted them. And, and what I, the way I think about this for us is that, that our, one of our roles as a church, for you and for me as well, is that we are, we are discipling one another. We are discipling each other so that as we come in and worship together, as we experience church together... We're exchanging our culture's practices for the practices of Jesus. We're exchanging the way the culture tries to shape us into particular people, uh, those practices, with practices that, that would shape us into being more like Jesus. And so Paul, Paul's ultimately, his work, when you, when you hear what Paul does when he goes back to these cities, it was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so Paul, he had to train these people to go and live out the gospel in context where they could get stoned. In context where no one knew what a Bible was, where no one knew what a Messiah was. And so we as a church, we have, we have to get better at that. That's a core part of our mission. And, and, and that mission is exchanging the practices we learn in culture for the practices we learn here at church. It means we exchange Twitter hot takes for listening, patience, incarnational ministry. We exchange anger at those who see the world differently than us or have a different politics than us. We exchange that for fasting and for fervent prayer, pleading to God that he would bring more people into his family. We exchange the worship of money and possessions for the worship of a God who sent a son who gave up his entire inheritance to, to get us 
into the family. We change our practices, and as we change our practices, we become different people who inhabit and who live our world in a very different way. And that's our call. Is that our, our, my prayer is that we would be a place where as you come in, you're shaped differently so that when we go out, there's, you know, there's probably 70 people in this room. There are 70 people living out the gospel in wherever you're going to be tomorrow. Maybe sharing it, maybe not, living out through your vocation, influencing the people around you towards gospel ends. So that's our mission. That's what we want to be about. Multiplying churches, multiplying disciples, multiplying leaders. And, and the, where I'd end uh, as a call to all of us is to join. Join us in that. Join us in our mission. Maybe you're thinking, how? How? How do we join you? And I'm glad you asked because I'm going to tell you how you can join us in our, our mission. I would say, as a church right now, on our young stage, we're about two things. And we can really probably do two things, you know, well. And that is uh, Sunday mornings, what we're doing right now, this worship service, and secondly, community groups. And so first, how you can make Sunday mornings better is, is we need you to serve. And the two most important areas we always need help in service is in children's ministry and in our host team. And children's ministry is obvious because one of the best ways uh, you can greet someone who's new, like a stranger, into our church and say, you know, uh, we, we, we're here for you, is to say, hey, let's, can we watch your kids for an hour or so? Um, Give you a break. We want to we invest in your kids um, as well. But the problem is all of us who like already were attending here, and I'm guilty also, we already had a bunch of kids. And so to have a bunch of kids and to add a bunch of more kids requires a ton of infrastructure to welcome new people in. So we always need help in children's ministry, and we always need help in host team um, welcoming people in. Because our, our goal is not just that someone gets a handshake when they come in, but that, that, that we, like they, they would feel like we want to know your name. And, we, and whether you ever come back here or not, um, you're meaningful, we want to know who you are, and we care about you. So serve, jump in. And then secondly, find, find a community group, a place to do, just be awkward with people for an hour and a half, because that's where it always starts, is the awkwardness. Embrace it, get to know people, care for them, pray for them, serve them. If you want to help further our mission, it's, it's those two things. And, and a quick third thing I would add, which isn't really a do this, it's more a thank you, I just continue to be blown away by the generosity that comes from our campus in particular. Our campus is an incredibly generous campus. It blows our leadership away, uh, the generosity you show towards us. And so thank you. Keep it up. We need, we need that to, to keep moving forward. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.